Okay, so anyway, part, part 11 today, for your notes, I want to talk about this. With all my heart. Say it good and strong. Go. With all my heart. Okay, Matthew 22, 37, and you know what Jesus said this. Here's the, here's the commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Listen, America has Americanized Christianity in such a sick way. It's not like any other country. Out of all the countries in the world, maybe a little bit in Australia, maybe a little bit in England, but America has taken grace and they've twisted it to the point where we think we can do whatever we want to and go to heaven because we're saved. But grace doesn't just save you. Grace empowers you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Not 10% of your heart. Not one-seventh. In other words, on Sunday mornings we love God, but then the rest of the week we do whatever we want to do. Love the Lord with all of your heart. Now, I want you to see, before we get into our three points, I want you to see how important the heart is. It's very, very, now I'm not talking about the, the, the organ that pumps blood to your body. I'm talking about you, you, who you are, your being, your soul, your spirit, man, who you are, your heart, okay? So we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. That's what we're supposed to do. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is a heart issue. So whether you're going to heaven or not is a heart issue. And if I lined all of you up at the back door on the way out today and said, is your heart belong to God? Does your heart belong to God? All of you would say yes. All of you would say yes. But, but, but you have to be, you need to be 100% sure. Okay, you need to be 100% sure. So, so salvation is a heart issue. 1 Samuel 16, 7, God judges us by our heart. Not by our actions, not by if we went to church or not, if we read the Bible. Everything is a heart issue. Everything. He goes to the root of everything and judges us by that. Proverbs 4, 23, guard your heart for out of it flows the issues of life. Every issue in your life is your heart. So if your heart's not right, if it doesn't belong to God, then there's a chance that everything in your life is going to be out of order and all messed up. But if your heart really belongs to God, everything will be in order. Now, before I ask you if your heart really does belong to Jesus, before I ask you, um, I need you to understand that every problem you have in life is your heart. Your attitude on Monday morning is not your boss's fault. It's not your co-workers. It's your heart. Whether or not you get your feelings hurt has nothing to do with what that person said to you. It's your heart. How you speak to people comes out of your heart. How you process pain comes from your heart. Whether or not you worship, it's all a heart issue. It's all a heart issue. Your addictions, heart issues. Your good qualities, heart issues. Everything in life comes out of the heart. It's like the old grandpa that was um, babysitting his grandkids, and he fell asleep on the couch one day. And so his grandkids thought they'd play a joke on him, so they went to the kitchen and got some very potent cheese, and they rubbed it across his mustache while he was sleeping. And so he started to toss and turn, and he was, you know, twitching, and he sat up and he said, man, something stinks in this room. And so he went to the kitchen, you know, to maybe watch some TV or just get away, and he sat there for a little bit, and he said, you know what, this room stinks too. So he decided to go outside and get, you know, some fresh air, and he went outside to take a big, deep breath. He said, man, the whole world stinks. Okay, if your heart is polluted, it's going to pollute you wherever you go. In this church, in your next church. In this relationship, in your next relationship. At this job, at your next job. Everything comes from the heart. Everything is a heart issue. So, does your heart belong to God? Yes or no? Do you love the Lord with all of your heart? And before you answer that, Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. Above everything else, your heart deceives you. Above everything else, your heart, and, and God doesn't exaggerate, exceedingly perverse, perverted. Your heart is perverted. Who can even know his own heart? 
We don't even know our own heart. You know, one of the most sickest phrases, sick, sick, Lucifer, satanic phrases is when somebody says, oh, they have a good heart. You don't know their heart. You don't know their heart. You don't even know your own heart. You have no idea. So if, if, if salvation's a heart issue, if God judges us and blesses us and then there's a heart issue, if, if he speaks to us in our heart, if everything flows out, if everything's a heart issue and we don't even know our own heart, how do we know if we're saved? How do we know if our heart really belongs to God? We think it does, but how do we really know? I'm going to show you what the Bible says about locating your heart. Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure, your riches, and your wealth is, that's where you're going to find your heart. I don't care what you tell me about your heart. I don't care how many times you say you love God. I don't care if you go to church or not. All, you can read your Bible all day long. Here's my question. Where's your treasure? Where's your most prized possessions? Where's your money? Because if you really want to know somebody, let's say you're dating somebody and you really want to know who they are, just look at their bank statement. That will show you where their heart is. Arby's, McDonald's, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A. You'll see where their heart belongs. Belk, Peebles, JCPenney, Target. You'll see Amazon, 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 Solid Rock, Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. You'll see where their heart belongs. Now, here's what's so amazing about the scripture. You can move your heart around. You give me a drug dealing pimp who cusses like a sailor and doesn't believe in God. And if I can get him putting his treasure in the kingdom of God, all these other things that have his heart, the strings will begin to disconnect and his heart strings will start to attach to the kingdom of God. And his whole life will change because his life follows his heart and his heart follows his money. You give me a Pharisee that tithes and they think, oh, that's a big thing. I gave 10 percent. Listen. 100% belongs to God. He just designates the first 10%. Anybody can tithe. I'm talking about your treasure, your riches, your wealth, your, 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 everything you think. I got to build the kingdom. I got to build the kingdom. I got to build the kingdom. Everything changes in your life when you move your money around. So I have three points for you today when it comes to loving the Lord with all of your heart. Three points. The first point is this. Whenever you get saved, you have God's heart. One of the ways you know if you are actually saved or not is if you have the heart of God in your life. Your desires are to honor him. Your desires are to worship. Your desires are to build his kingdom. If your heart did not change when you got saved, don't tell anybody you come to this church. Tell them you go to the Baptist church down the street. That's a horrible testimony. I gave my life to Jesus, but nothing really changed. I still act the same way. I still feel the same way. I still think the same things. That's a horrible testimony. Ezekiel 36 says this. When you give your life to Christ, watch. He said, I'll sprinkle you with clean water and make you clean from everything that's defiled you. That's a good deal. That means you don't clean yourself. Do not think, well, I got to fix this and change this and then I'll come to church and I got to start being good in this area and then I'll worship. And I, no, 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 no. You surrender your life. He makes you clean. Then he says this. It, it just keeps going. If you call right now, here's what else I'll throw in. I'll give you a new heart and a new mind. Your desires will change and your thought life will be different. He said, I'll do this to you. You know, I'll do this. We went to dinner um, Friday night with a great couple here in church, good friends of ours. And the wife, while we're eating, she paid her husband the most um, amazing compliment any woman could ever pay a man. She looked at me and she said, since he's been coming to Solid Rock, he's a different man. He's a different husband. I, I can't even believe who he is now. Here's what she's saying. He's got a new heart. He's got a new mind. Something's changed. We've been married for 40 years. And just in the past two years, something's changed. 
He's not the same man he used to be. Here's what God says. I'll put my spirit in you and I'll see to it that you obey my commands. How many of you since you've been saved have you done the wrong thing and you felt God grab you by the neck and say you will not do that again? You will forgive. You will get back in church. You will serve me. You will not keep going in that direction. I will do whatever it takes to get you back. How many has that happened to you? Dozens of times, right? Some of y'all, it just happened today. That's why you're here today. <laughs> then God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. Here's what he's saying. I'm going to change your life. I'm going to do this for you. You surrender everything to me and you will have my heart. Now in the New Testament, there's a man named Nicodemus. Everybody say Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Remember that name at the end of the sermon, okay? In John chapter 3, 1 through 5, there was a Pharisee, a Jewish leader named Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night. In other words, he, he didn't get baptized. He didn't worship in front of anybody. He was hiding. He wasn't saved yet. He didn't want anybody to know that he served Jesus, okay? Good teacher. That's only another place in the Bible I'm going to show you in a little bit. We know you've come from God. No one else can do these miracles unless God be with them. In other words, I believe in you and I believe in God. You know the demons believe in Jesus, right? So don't think that saves you just because you believe that he existed or whatever. Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. Unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do not be surprised when I tell you, you must be born again. Okay, I want to compare Nicodemus to y'all, okay? We're going to do a little bit of comparison. Nicodemus believed in Jesus and God. How many of y'all believe in Jesus and God? Just say amen. Amen. Oh, just the ladies? That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> Nicodemus attended church every Sunday. If you attend church every Sunday, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Again, more ladies than men. That said, Nicodemus prayed every single day. Amen. If you pray every day, say oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nicodemus tithed every single time he got a paycheck. I'm not even going to have you say anything, but I am going to say this. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23, that tithing is for baby Christians. Do not think you're a mature Christian if you tithe. It's just, that's just 10%. It's all God's. It's all God's. He just designates the first 10%. Baby Christians can do that. But Nicodemus did that every single time. Okay, ready? Nicodemus fasted twice a week. He was a member of the Sanhedrin Council. They had to do this. How many of y'all have fasted twice in your lifetime? Just raise your hands on it. Okay, okay. I'm going to give you points for that, okay? Okay, Nicodemus, listen, he memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, word for word. Now, if y'all can just say the first five books of the Old Testament, I'll give you points. Okay, ready? Go. Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Y'all did okay. If you can spell Deuteronomy, I'll give you 100 points for that, okay? Okay. Jesus, now, I'm just curious, who's better, Nicodemus or y'all? Don't answer that. But Jesus just looked at a man who did all that and said this, you're not going to heaven unless you're born again. Unless you have my heart, unless you've given me your life, you're not, you can do all those good things, you're not going to heaven. Now, just so you know, there's more people that are in hell that are in heaven. Mathematically speaking, by numbers, there are more people in hell in other words, there's more people that are not born again. They do not, and I'm going to prove it to you. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Jesus said this. Enter into the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, hell. And there are many who go in that direction. But the gate to life is narrow, and few people find. Okay, mathematically speaking, what is more, many or few? Many. many. Jesus just said there are more people in hell than in heaven. And this scripture is eternal, right? It never ends. So today, there's more people in hell than heaven. Tomorrow, there'll be more people in hell than heaven. In other words, there's more people who think. Now, judging by most funerals, 
You think everybody's in heaven. I've either played the piano or preached at about 150 funerals. Everyone, if I'm not playing the piano, they all say, oh, they're in a better place. No, they're not, that scoundrel. I went to one funeral where somebody told the truth. It was a McMillan small funeral home, the big one and on, on the bypass, super nice funeral home. I'm playing the piano. I don't even know the people. They just paid me to come play the piano. I'm doing my thing. And um, it was a very wealthy, wealthy, wealthy man here in Myrtle Beach. If I said their last name, most of you would know. But anyway, it's about 10 years ago. And, um, and the, the pastor didn't even know the guy. He's like, Psalm 23, you know, he's in a better place. And then the son comes up to give the eulogy. God is my witness, okay? The son stands up there. And he looks at everybody in the room and he says, none of y'all cared about my father and he hated every one of you too. <laughs> and, I, and this is before we could record on our phones or else I would have had my phone up. I'm just sitting there, you know, just looking down, waiting for it to be over. And I was like, oh, this is about to get good. He said, um, he said the only reason y'all are here is because my father made y'all millions and millions of dollars. He hated you. He hated me. He didn't love any single person. All he cared about was his Rolls Royce, his yacht, his mansion, and his money. And he's rotten in hell right now. And the son said, and thank you all for coming out and have a good day. And he walked off. And the priest looks at me like I'm supposed to do something. And I was like, amazing grace. Like, oh, I, <laughs> I was going to play Jesus paid it all. I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to play. <laughs> Highway to hell. I didn't know what to do. But anyway, okay, so most people, most people don't have God's heart. Number two is this. If you have God's heart, he turns your heart into a giving heart. John, <laughs> I didn't think, <laughs> whatever. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave, he gave the only thing in the universe he had one of. The only thing, his most prized possession. You are never more like God than when you give. Don't ever, if you want to be like God, don't think that, well, if I go to church, I'll be like God. If I, no, you're never more like God than when you give. Never, never, never. You are never more like him than when you give. And if you really want to be like him, you give your most prized possession. For Abraham, it was his son. For David, it was mommy. For, I don't know what it is in your life. But he gave the only thing that there was one of for you. So there's a story in the New Testament of the young, rich ruler. The rich, young ruler in Mark 10, 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran to him and fell on his knees. Good teacher. That's the exact same words Nicodemus used. Remember that. Okay, remember that. What good thing, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, no one is good but God. Now, again, Jesus doesn't exaggerate. I just want to tell you, Billy Graham was not good. Don't be deceived as Americans and Americanized good and bad. We're comparing it to God. God is good. Mother Teresa was not good. Your grandma, not good. Your pastor, <laughs> horrible, horrible trash. That's your, your pastor is filthy, nasty rags. That's what your pastor is. Nobody's good. Don't ever think, don't ever think that someone, not one person is good. Compared to God, nobody's good. Nobody. Everybody say nobody. nobody. Okay, what good thing must I do? And Jesus and said, no one's good but God. But then Jesus thought he'd play with him a little bit. So he said this, well, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, steal, lie, covet, honor your father and mother, and what was that? I lost my place. Let's see, there was another one. Oh, that is six. Okay, so he named six. Now, how many commandments are there? Did Jesus forget the other four? Okay, so the commandments are in two parts, people and God. Six about people, four about God, okay? He named the ones about people. 
Because he was playing with the guy. Just one of the and here's what the guy said. Oh, teacher, I've kept all of those since I was a boy. I've done all these. Now, if you and I knew this guy, we'd think he's saved. He's going to heaven. He's kept all these commandments. Okay, then Jesus went to him. Remember the commandment? Don't put any other gods before me. No other gods before me. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, just real quick. Love always tells the truth. There's a disgusting, satanic meme that people put out there that says, oh, just love people and let God sort them out. You know who wrote that? Lucifer wrote that. Okay, just so you know. Here's what people, when people see that, they think this. Oh, that means we should just be nice to people and let God deal with them. Okay, so if your child is running out in the middle of the road and a car's coming by and your child doesn't see it, do you, A, just love them and let God sort it out? Or do you say, stop, you're about to die, something horrible's going to happen. That's love. That is love. Love, if you have a friend that you know is on their way to hell, a family member that's totally living an open sexual immoral lifestyle, homosexual, whatever it is, you don't just love them. You love them by taking them out to coffee and encouraging them and say, listen, there's a better way. Jesus can heal. Hey, there's a, you need to surrender this. I'll be there with you. I'll walk you through it. The Bible says we're to gently restore people, not let people go to hell. Well, just love them like that. No, that means let them go to hell. God will deal with it later. No, love always tells the truth. Do not think you love that family member who you know is going to hell by just standing back and being nice. That is not love. Don't not, do not be deceived, okay? So Jesus loved him, and he said this because he looked inside of his heart. There's one thing you lack. I can see your heart. You don't love the Lord with all of your heart. You love him with part of it, and part of it is for something else. Sell everything you have and give it away, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, after you decide you're going to love me with your heart, then take up your cross, follow me. The man went away sad with a grieving heart. Here's why. He had a lot of money. We just located his heart. Just by the way, just so you know, we just found it. It appeared it belonged to God because all those commandments, he was doing a good thing. We just discovered the one thing he could not give away was the one thing that actually had his heart. The only thing you and I should never give away is our relationship with God. That's the most important. That should be the most important thing to us. Okay. We located his heart. I have two questions. Number one is this. Did Jesus Christ want this man's money? Did Jesus need his money? No, he wanted his heart. Here's my other question. Did Jesus have a problem? Does he have a problem at all with any of us having nice things or possessions? No. Whether it's a $50,000 house or a $5 million house, a $50 watch or a $5,000 watch, a, 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 a you know, $3,000 car or a $100,000 car, Jesus does not mind. If he minded us having money and possessions, he wouldn't have given Solomon, his king, more money than anybody in the world. And Abraham, more money. And Isaac, more money. He has a problem when money has our heart. He doesn't have a problem with you having possessions. He has a problem if that possession owns you. That's what he has a problem with. Now, it says in verse 23, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, how hard it is for Americans, for people at Market Common, how hard it is for people with the nicest cell phone, a house with air conditioning and a refrigerator, food in the kitchen and clothes on their back, how hard it is for rich people to go to heaven. 
You know, there's, there's like 1,870 verses about money in the Bible. Two of them say that we should enjoy our money. The other 1,800 and something say what a battle money is between our heart when it comes to God. It's the number one thing that can take your heart away from God. Now, this guy went away grieving and said, um, um, the reason we grieve is because we think it belongs to us. If you never want to have financial stress for the rest of your life, get this in your mind. It's not yours. It's God's. You are his bank. Just like Lucifer with the worship, it was supposed to come through Lucifer and then on to the people. In the same way, money, possessions, God allows us to have some. And thank you, God, for that. But it's not ours. It's supposed to pass through us. And whatever he says, do with it. That's what we're supposed to do with it. Now, if you think that it belongs to you, you'll always stress out about money. 1 Corinthians 10, 26, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Psalms 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world belongs to him. Psalms 50, 10, every animal is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. I own the birds of the mountains. The world is mine in all its fullness. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. It's not yours, it's mine. I own the whole world. Out of curiosity, how many of you ladies in here, or men, how many of you own a diamond of, now I'm not going to ask you to give it away, so calm down, okay? How many of you own a diamond on a ring, a necklace, earrings? Okay, if your hand didn't go up and you're a woman, you need to find a different man. Anyway, so, I'm just joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Okay, listen, do you know where that diamond came from? It came from God's earth. It's not yours. He made it. It came from his coal. The, 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 the oil in your car? came from God. The clothes, do you think that those clothes, that somehow somebody magically created those clothes? The clothes you're wearing came from God's earth. It's always, if you have a pearl, you know, my, my nana, she loves pearl jewelry. You know, you know where, where her pearls came from? God's oyster got irritated by God's sand and God allowed it to produce God's pearl. It's all God's. The paper that your money is printed on came from God's trees. It was never yours. It all came from God. Every single bit of it. So I was thinking to myself, what amount of money would actually impress God? Like what amount of money to give? If I, were to, if I said, God, I really want to get your attention. I want to give an amount of money that would impress you. What amount of money would that be if he owns it all? Remember Revelation 21, 21 says this. His streets are gold. His streets are made out of gold. It's like that guy here in Myrtle Beach I told you about the dad that died. He took, a, he took some luggage with him up to heaven. And when he got to the door, St. Peter said, what you got in the suitcase? Did you bring family? You trying to get some friends in here? He said, oh, no, no. I brought some gold bars with me from earth. And Peter laughed at You brought asphalt to heaven? <laughs> We got plenty of asphalt here. Okay, so what amount of money could I give that would impress God? I actually asked God this week. I, 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 I specifically, Monday, Tuesday night, God, what amount of money could I give that would impress you? And here's what God said to me. And as soon as he said it, I knew exactly where to go in my Bible. He said, one penny impresses me. Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat near the church offering box. And he watched people dropping their money. Many rich men dropped in a lot of money. Then a poor widow dropped in two little copper coins worth about a penny. And Jesus stopped and looked at his disciples and said, Whoa, guys, let me tell you something. Let me teach you. This widow, she put more in the offering box than all the others. She put in everything she had. A penny got God's attention. 
Do you know when you give everything to him? The Bible says in Zephaniah like 3, 16 or 17, that when you surrender your whole life to him, that he rejoices over you. That word rejoice in the Hebrew means to jump up and down and twirl about. The guy that has streets of gold jumps up and down and twirls about when you surrender your whole heart to him. Listen, it doesn't belong to you. It's all his. In America, we say Jesus is my friend and he is. But the Bible says he's our Lord. Lord means you don't have a say anymore. You do not get to choose where you work, where you live, where you go to school. It all flows through him. He tells you what to do. Your life is his. It, it, he is your Lord. Stop. Don't leave this place and think he's my buddy. He's your Lord. You surrender everything. You have no say anymore. It's like if you have a teenager, if you ever raised a teenager, you've told that teenager, this ain't your house. This is not your house. Now, if you have a smart aleck teenager who comes to church, now they're going to look at you and say, this ain't your house either. But if you want to be smart back to them, you say, you're right, it's God's house. And we treat God's house the way God wants us to. We treat God's car, God's bedroom, God's bathroom. It's all God's. It's all God's. Listen, don't tell me God has your whole heart if he doesn't have your money. Don't lie. And don't lie to yourself. Do not think that he has your whole heart. The Christians that say he's got the heart, they're the ones that argue about 10%. Blows my mind. Blows my mind. Okay, number three is this. Once you have God's heart and he gives you a giving heart, you'll always end up with a very generous heart. You will always end up extremely, extremely generous. Uh, Matthew 16, Matthew 10, sorry. Mark 10, 21. I read it earlier. I'm going to reread it. Jesus said to the guy, one thing, one thing you like. Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come take up your cross. Follow me. The man walked away with a grieving heart because he had much money. Okay, real quick. Would you give every, if you found out you had cancer today and you were going to die in a week, would you give away every single thing you have to get into heaven? Yes or no? Would you? Would you give away, if that was, if that was what he said, would you give away everything you have to get into heaven? Okay, have you done that? Not have you liquidated your assets, but who's the owner? Have you really given it all to him? If you really now, there's a few misconceptions about this scripture that I think are very funny. The first misconception is this: um, it, we think, and preachers will say this, that this man had to sell everything to go to heaven. Um, that's not what it says. It says he had to sell everything to have treasure in heaven. In other words, if you will get rid of some of this treasure on earth, I'll give you eternal treasure. You have it forever and ever and ever and ever. So a lot of preachers will say, oh, you got, he had to sell everything he had to get into heaven. No, no, no. He had to sell everything he had to give it away to have treasure in heaven. That's a misconception. So then what did this guy have to do to go to heaven? Same thing you and I have to do to go to heaven. Matthew 16, 24. If any man wants to come with me, let him, put it on the screen, deny himself. Deny his own interests, take up his cross, and just so, these are like spiritual terms that people don't understand. Take up your cross, it basically means this. Even though you have an addiction, you keep going forward in God. Even though you have a bad attitude, you keep, even though you're depressed, you keep going forward. Whatever your cross is, don't let your cross stop you. You may even fall under the weight of your cross, but God will always send somebody to help you pick it up and keep going forward. So that's what that means, okay? Give up your own interests, take up your cross, follow me. If you give up your life for me, you will find life everlasting for this guy the one thing that stopped him was his possessions what's the one thing stopping you 
What is the one thing stopping you? So that, that's the first misconception is that he told him you had to do this to go to heaven. Here's the second misconception. That he didn't do it. We assume <laughs> that he didn't do it because he went away sad. Now, let's be honest, even though we're in church. If God told you today to sell everything you have and give it away, you'd leave here sad too. You would all grieve on the way out this door. <laughs> Me too. We'd all grieve, right? Okay. But we think that means he didn't do it. Um, there's a famous historian named Josephus Ben-Gurion. And he wrote all about things going on in Jesus' day. He lived in that day. And he wrote about a member of the Sanhedrin council who was the richest, youngest ruler in Jerusalem. He had so much wealth that he could support all the inhabitants of Jerusalem for 10 years off of his money alone. Richest, youngest ruler in Jerusalem. And Josephus is writing about his brother. His brother's name is Nicodemus Ben-Gurion. I believe that John 3 Nicodemus is the same as the rich young ruler. And here's why. John 3 Nicodemus finds Jesus at night. He uses the same word, good teacher, exact same word in Mark chapter 10. Jesus says, no man, you need to be born again. In John 7, Nicodemus defends Jesus in front of the whole Sanhedrin council. Remember, at first he goes to him at night. Now he defends him in front of everybody. This guy's real. He's the real thing. In other words, he puts on Facebook, I love Jesus and I don't care who, who knows. I love Jesus. He lets everybody know, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Lord. He loses all of his friends when this happens. In John 19, Nicodemus accompanies his best friend, Joseph of Arimathea, to the tomb of Jesus to embalm his body. Okay, so Jesus borrows the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, right? I can see it on eBay, you know, tomb only used three days, you know, for sale, whatever. So he, he borrows the tomb. If Nicodemus was Joseph of Arimathea's best friend, if Nicodemus was actually defending Jesus and loved Jesus, if Nicodemus was the richest man in all of Jerusalem, why would he have to ask his best friend, can Jesus borrow your tomb? Why didn't Nicodemus buy Jesus a tomb? Why didn't he give him his own tomb? You know why? Because Josephus writes that Nicodemus, after he defended Jesus from the Sanhedrin Council, Nicodemus then turns around and he sells every single thing he had and he gave it to the poor and he became a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why he had to ask his friend, can Jesus please borrow your tomb? Do you love the Lord with all of your heart? All of it. I'll close with, um, with a true story. A friend of mine, he's a, he's a, he's a, uh, lives up in Ohio and he was a wealthy businessman back in the late nineties. He got into real estate and stocks and stuff like that. And one day, um, this is before there was internet, you know, he's, he's balancing his checkbook and, and writing all of his bills. For those of you that don't know what that is, a checkbook is this piece of paper. <laughs> and you, when you write on it, there was sometimes one behind it where you could see, and then you'd have to balance it. You had to pull out a calculator. A calculator is a thing that, um, is, 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 it looks like a phone, but anyway. And so he was balancing this checkbook and um, writing all his bills. And when he got done, there was a, there was a big, big number is the balance of his checkbook. And he thought, because he's a Christian, he thought, God, wow, thank you so much. You really blessed me so much. And he started thinking, well, I wonder how much money's in my savings account. So he went to a savings account, he balanced that out and got that, and he said, oh man, it's another big number. Thank you so much, God, this is huge. Then he thought, 
I wonder what's in my investment accounts. And he spent about an hour and a half going through his portfolio, getting all together, and he got that number. Very large number. Very large number. Then he thought, well, I wonder how much I have in my retirement. I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years, made a lot of money, a lot of money in his retirement. He was just, he couldn't believe it. He took all four of those numbers and he added them up. It was several million dollars. The next morning, he was having his quiet time, reading his Bible, you know, praying, drinking his coffee. And God spoke to him and said, son, how much money do you have? And the first thought he had was this. I knew I should not have added those four numbers. Oh, why'd I do that? And he said, God, you mean how much money do I have in my wallet? God said, how much money do you have? He said, you mean in my house? God said, how much money do you have? And he pulled out that number, and it was, you know, several, several million dollars. He said, I got this number. And God said to him this, would you give it all to me? And my friend said the first thought he had was incredible fear and panic. He said his heart was beating out of his chest. He was sweating. His face was red. And he said this, God, it took me 15 years to get here. 15 years, I got it all planned out. I'm giving my kids this. I'm retiring here. It's all planned out. God, 15 years. Later in that day, his fear started to turn to joy. And he said, I had this thought. God, I bet you've never asked anybody to do this before. And God said, no, son. I've asked every one of my children, or I will ask at some point in their life, to do this. So he thought, oh. He said, okay, God, I'll do it. He wrote the check. It was like on a Tuesday midweek. <laughs> he said all week long. He kept looking at that check, knowing on Sunday morning he was going to give that to God. He thought, oh, you know, maybe God will tell me something different. Maybe it will blow away and that's a sign. Maybe my wife will find it and rip it up. Who knows what will happen, you know. But that Sunday morning he got to church and he, he gave him the offering. And he basically started over financially. Fifteen months later. He was doing the same thing, writing his bills, balancing out his budget. And he heard God say to him, add up all four of your accounts. He said, no, I'm good, God. That's okay. Everything's fine. I love you so much. We're good. Okay, it's all good. You know, no big deal. No big deal. God said, no, add it all up. And he added all four accounts. Within a few thousand dollars, it was twice as much as he gave 15 months before. Twice as much. God said, son, what it takes you 15 years, I can double in 15 months. I can quadruple in 15 days if I have to. Yeah. Yeah. And now before I tell you the end of the story, let me read your scripture. Deuteronomy 15.10. Give freely and unselfishly. Do not have a stingy heart. When you give, it triggers God's blessings and makes you successful in everything you do. Yeah. My friend is no longer a millionaire. He lives in a small house. He drives a pickup truck. And he's a pastor. Beautiful wife, great kids. One of his sons is about to come up in ministry with him. And he says, and I quote, I'm the richest man in the world. I don't have a lot of money, but I'm wealthier than anyone else I've ever met. You know why? When you have God's heart and you become a giver and you're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes for his kingdom, I promise you, you will be successful. In everything you do, I'm encouraging you today, leave this place loving the Lord your God with all of your heart. Amen. Amen. Amen.